today. I'm in have my energy level is way better than it was the last time we recorded. So this should be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited because like we just definitely didn't know your energy level was low. And so I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, it could get a little sketchy. I don't know. Who knows? It may act out. Who knows? I'm very excited for that. I have a cold. So I'm like hopped up on Sudafed. So I'm all ready for acting out. (laughs) (laughs) It's late at night and I've been drinking, so I'm ready. Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a consultant living in Ukraine and London, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian, student, and freelance book indexer, querying my first novel, drafting a second, and researching a third. Today's episode is a wide-ranging conversation with the hilarious, gracious, and brilliant Tasha L. Harrison, romance and erotica author, freelance editor, and a creative entrepreneur dedicated to helping new and aspiring word makers become authors. So this recording is actually take two. Our first conversation was sacrificed to the technology gods last week, so we're extra super duper grateful to Tasha. You can find her at TashaLHarrison.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Tasha L. Harrison, and we highly recommend that you do. A couple of quick notes before we get on to the show. We swear a lot in this episode, so be warned. Also, we're moving to a mostly every other week schedule so we can prioritize our own writing. You can always find us on Instagram and our newsletter, and hit us up at our website, marginallypodcast.com, if you really miss us. Now, on to the show. In real life and on this podcast, thank you very much for coming on our podcast, Tasha. We're very excited to talk to you. We have lots of questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right Yeah, so we do have lots of questions, but I guess um, since our podcast is about writing and day jobs and balancing both of them, if you could just do a quick overview of your day job and your kind of the margin and what you're writing in and and what that kind of affords you in terms of time, that would be great. Okay, well, I have a day job in healthcare. Um, I work with the elderly from seven to three every day. Um, It could be, sometimes it's interesting, most times it's full of what the fuck, because Working with the elderly is sometimes like working with toddlers. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but I do enjoy the work. I enjoy, I like old people better than I like people my age. They're just easier to <laughs> understand. And all they want to do is tell you stories. So I like that part of it. Um, generally during the day, like I will try to sneak in some writing during my breaks. But I also freelance edit. So if I can get that in <laughs> in between breaks and also come home at night and work for like two hours on you know, client work, then that's just, I think that that day is spot on for a good day. Of mm. course, it doesn't happen like that every day. And I find myself like some Saturdays just sitting in my chair until the skin like <laughs> meshes <laughs> with the fabric because I have to get stuff done. But, you know. We may make it happen, you know? You're like, yeah, so that's one of our, people love to hear about people's writing routines. So you you actually have more than one day job in a way because you do the editing and you do kind of other kind of writer support or writer adjacent uh, jobs. Yeah, so do you- I'm like a Jamaican, I have three jobs. <laughs> at least, three plus. At least right? three, at least. Um, how do you balance so when you're working on a creative project like a new novel of your own do you is it like weekends do you wake up early do you work after work like how do you kind of balance all three of those Um, I try to reserve my writing for the weekend and try to get everything done like all the client work done during the business week Um, and I do do a lot of planning beforehand and Generally, when I sit down, I already know what I'm going to write. Like I have, uh, okay, who needs to be in this scene? What needs to happen in this scene? And then I do a lot of, um, <laughs> I do a lot of background stuff on uh, setting and all that. And and then at the end of the day, I'll ask myself, like, how did you feel about this writing session? Did you get what you needed to get done? That sort of thing. So, yeah, I do a lot of journaling, and I think that keeps me on point because I've uh, over the years through journaling about writing, I've learned about my process. And now that I kind of think I have it figured out, it's a little bit easier. 
but yeah, generally I write on the weekends for myself. Yeah. And I think like everybody has to find their own balance between all of those things. I'm also increasingly tending towards weekend writing for myself because it's just so hard to like carve out enough time to properly do anything. But yeah. I wanted to touch on the fact that you're very famous uh, for what? choosing. <laughs> for, uh, what? <laughs> uh, for the writer journal element of uh, what you've talked about. So we heard about you. Uh, we'd actually heard about you before, but we he- definitely heard you on the uh, another podcast, uh, which we'll link in our show notes, uh, talking about your writer's journal and also about your planning. So I think both of those are interesting for people. And I think it's it's actually really interesting element of of focus and, and organization that you have. I, I kind of love it and am jealous. I mean, well, listen, um, probably undiagnosed ADD. I've just over the years learned how to come up with systems and processes to make myself not like act like Doug and just be like squirrel and, <laughs> and not finish my projects. Because at, when I first started out and I didn't know what my process was and I was just pantsing, it was it was horrible. Like it took me two years to finish a book. Um and whenever I try to like NaNoWriMo do anything like that, where I have to like meet a word count, like all I care about is the word count. I don't care about what the words I made sound like or read like. And then I get to the end and I'm like, oh, what is this? I can't use this. Um, but yeah, the writing journal is just kind of like where it is now is how I've built it over the years. And I think it's really important to step back from the process and be like, okay, how did these words feel today? You know, like, did I enjoy writing today? Did I feel like I knew what the fuck I was doing? Um, Was I successful? Did I finish the scene? If I didn't, why not? And because you tend, all writers tend to get to a certain point in their manuscript where, you know, they call themselves being blocked. I'm blocked. I can't, I'm a good writer's block. I can't complete my book. That's bullshit. It doesn't exist. All it is is that you have to do work around it until you figure out why you're blocked. And my writing journal has served that purpose for me. Well, I love this because um, it's really hard to like not refer to our, this is off the record, but I'll refer to our uh, like ill-fated previous interview. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I really loved from that was when you were talking about how like actually you know, getting to know your characters is so important um, because if you are not sure what's going to happen next in your fiction, uh, definitely. But I'm, I actually think it might work in nonfiction too. But anyway, in your fiction, then that's partly because you actually don't know your characters that well and you need to spend a bit more time with them. Definitely. Most, most problems with fiction can be traced back to poor character development. Most of it. Um, I think a lot of times people focus so much on plot, especially if you went to school to learn how to write. Like if you did any sort of creative writing course or you were like an English major or something, there was, was like a ton of focus on plot. And people just think that a character just materializes out of the thin air and you like you have a name and you know what they look like and that's all you need to know. I spend a lot of time with my characters because if I throw a plot point at them, I want to know how they react. I want to know everything about their childhood, all of their good experiences, their bad experiences, you know, their first time having sex, their first time falling in love, the first house they lived in, what they keep on their nightstand at night. Is their car dirty? Like all of these things feel like they're super important to me and they may not always factor into the story, but if I need it, it's there, you know? So I do spend a lot of time on character development. It's probably like the biggest part of my uh, writing process. Um, other than the journaling, I, I like to write about writing a lot. There's something wrong with me. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you. Like the, um, right, you know, a, a process journal is like key. A lot of big writers have used them. Um, well, that's good to know. So I know that the first time I heard about it was in some interview with, I can't remember, it was on like WMFA or another podcast, but um, it was Sue Grafton who was oh, big yeah. on having a process journal. And then um, I was reading about it in Louise DeSalvo's book, The Art of Slow Writing, which is like the motto of my life, <laughs> uh, minus, minus the art bit. 
but she was she teaches it to her students um but it's yeah it's it's like your because i have your right daily journal mm-hmm. um you know where you talk about like your your goal for the day but also like and what's going to happen in it but also how you feel about it and yes how you felt about writing and yeah i think that's really important to do i don't know why i it I think finding your process requires a lot of navel gazing. Like you have mm. to really just sit there and pick the lint out before you can figure out like, why am I always stopping at this point? Like, why do I get to 25,000 words and I can't figure out how to get past this plot point? Like, why am I here? That's and, where I am right now. <laughs> My current project. And a lot of times, like if you, and if you go, if you have a journal and you go back especially if you've completed a book, this is where it really comes into play. Like if you finished a book and published it and you get to start writing that next book and you get to the same point and you're just like, Oh my God, why can't, why do I always get here? And I have to stop. If you have that journal from the previous book, all you got to do is flip back to it and be like, what did I do to get beyond this? I mean, that's how I've done. It was like, okay, if I get to the, the 25,000 word point, more than likely I haven't hashed out what my character's, limiting belief is more than likely. Like, I don't know what is going on with them to keep them from pursuing their best life. Cause that's pretty much, it's still the first act, probably like right in the middle towards the end of the first act. So if you can't move into act two, if you don't have those things mapped out now, it doesn't mean that you have to say it on the page, but knowing that you stop there all the time, you can go back, you can look at your books, you can look at the, the previous book you wrote and try to piece together a process and it makes it so much easier. I'm not saying it makes it easy because writing is never easy. It's a job. It, it hurts sometimes, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I think that knowing how your mind works and how, you know, what the places you get hung up and why you get hung up there makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. And thanks for the uh, writing prompt that I'm going to work on this evening. What is my character's limiting belief? <laughs> yeah, like what what thing do they believe about themselves that keeps them from pursuing their their goal? Like they have this big goal that they see in the future and they want it, but there's this one thing that they believe about themselves that will keep them from getting there. Yeah. So what you one of the things I love like talking to you and listening to other interviews that you've done is you're so good at talking process and like just sitting down and figuring out what tricks you need to do in order to get the words out and get the work done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that makes you a fantastic editor too, and working with people. Um, how does that particular job of yours working with other people's books? Um, how does that inform the work that you do in your own writing and you know, what does it, what does it do to you? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it both? I I think it's some of both. Um, I think a lot of times, like if I get too wrapped up in someone else's project, I tend to, my creative juices are spent. Like there's nothing left for me, but it has also, like you said, it does inform my process because I can see it's always easier to see someone else's problems and tell them how to fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when I see another author going through, I'm like, oh, snap, this is the same shit I do. Well, I can tell her <laughs> because if you're looking at their book, you're like, oh, well, I, I can see how to fix this. This is where, where you're going wrong. And then immediately apply, apply it to yourself. I mean, generally, I feel like I've learned, I mean, outside of the course that just teaches you how to edit and all that stuff, I feel like I've learned twice as much with real world application as far as that goes. And then niching down to like romance has kept me from like being all over the place. Like, I don't know how people just edit any kind of book from anybody. That's (laughs) (laughs) like, it just sounds like a nightmare to me. Um, But yeah, like, like I said, it's just really, really easy to see it in somebody else's book. And then because I keep such meticulous notes on their books, I can, you know, because I journal about everything. That's, I probably should be saying this out loud. Yes, I have notes on all of your books. I'm going to use them um, <laughs> for like nefarious, nefarious reasons. I don't know what I could use them for. But I do keep notes. And most of the time when I um, give an author their manuscript back, if there were like a lot of problems, then I will write them like a 2,000 word, you know, critique, like, Okay, so these you, these are the things you did well. These are the places that need work, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I always keep all of those too, so that if they come back to me, especially if it's a series, I can be like, oh, okay, so we're, I'm reading this character and we're having the same problem. What did I tell her what to do about this character the last time? 
so I use a lot of paper. Is the thing. I, I go through a lot of <laughs> I go through a lot of <laughs> notebooks, but I think it's it, it's definitely informed my process. And I I do think it makes me a better er- editor. I don't think that I'm any better or worse than anyone else. I just think that I have a different set of skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. So nerdy question, real fast. What kind of notebooks do you like? <laughs> okay, for like my general editing stuff, I just like regular comp- uh, composition notebooks, and then. Um, for I have the the Chick Sparrow Traveler's Notebook, and okay. I I buy them from Etsy. I buy the Traveler's Notebooks from Etsy, it's like the inserts. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Foxy the, Fix one. Yes. Okay. So this is why I love it so much because I go through notebooks so much. When I was just buying like fancy like moleskins or the, whatever the the other one is, the German one. I can never pronounce. Yeah, Lechterm. Lechterm. I that know, one too. yeah so like i love those notebooks especially love the bullet journal like it just oh god it speaks to my soul but <laughs> but i would because i write so much it felt like i was running out of paper way faster than everybody else i knew who who journals so i was like i, I gotta I, I gotta use a cheaper version like i need a five dollar notebook <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah <laughs> because i'm like at the end of a week i might have filled one up so I, I try not to be so precious about my paper products now, but I do love my Chick Sparrow and like all the little doodads and thinglies that come with that. <laughs> well, and in a pinch, you can always print up and staple up your own notebook inserts if right. you're really desperately I mean, out. Ser- I mean, you got to be real desperate. I've done that's, that before. I mean, I haven't <laughs> gotten there yet, but I mean, that's poor planning on my part. I usually, you know, when I start writing for myself, because that's where I keep all of my personal writing stuff in the in my Chick Sparrow. Um, I will buy like ahead of time, like ten books, ten notebooks, just buy ten, just because I don't I don't know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> you know, I need ten just to start, <laughs> just have them stacked in the corner so I won't be at three o'clock in the morning. Like, where am I going to put this? Do you put it on a piece of legal notebook paper or one of your kids like? loose leaf paper and then you're like in the morning like, what happened to that i don't even know where it is now and then that's a whole nother issue so yeah yeah <laughs> i'd rather be prepared wasn't a girl scout but i was a soldier so it's kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely yeah definitely the same thing i really want to dig into the genre like the that specific romance as a genre and why because um it's one that i read some and but it's not one that either of us olivia and i well i guess you could say contemporary ya is kind of I mean they're kind of romance they're romances it's just a kiss yeah. not really like you know full-on one like in mine the romance is a subplot not the main right, plot. right. um it's like flip-flopped because in a you know a good romance is gonna have some subplots that are not just the will they or won't they or when will they uh, I mean, yes, a good romance would, but there are plenty of books out there right now that are on the bestseller list that don't. Well, it's all yeah. <laughs> about the P and the V. Yes. Um, <laughs> why romance? Um, well, I I can't say that I was an avid reader when I started writing. I wasn't a reader of romance per se. I was reading a lot of women's fiction with a heavy romantic subplot. So, um, and a lot of those, because that generally that was the only way that I could get characters that look like me. There was plenty of women's fiction written by black women, like say in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't a ton of romantic black fiction out there, like written by black people about black people. So I did a lot of that. I've read a lot of women's fiction. And then, too, when I was going to school, you know, you, you don't ever want to be a genre writer. You know, God, like, when are you going to write a real book? So I didn't focus on that. Like, I thought that I had to have, like, some strong theme and all that in my books. And I was started out writing these books. And, yeah, I had a strong theme. But there was sexy times, you know. <laughs> there was sexy times. Well, Terry, to be fair, Terry McMillan has some sexy times, too. She's gotten more sexy times later in her career than she did in earlier uh yeah, yeah. they th- it was kind of Speaking like of 90s doors. yeah 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 definitely tara mcmillan air jerome dickey uh mm. just like all of those really popular 90s authors i was way into them and probably shouldn't have been reading them i was like 13 um <laughs> but um that's, the, that's like the prime age 
Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, my mom never, my mother was never a person that said, you can't read that book. Whatever she read, I read. If I went in the bathroom and it was sitting on the back of the toilet, I'm like, hmm, what is this? We we call the bathroom the library. I'm like, oh, we'll just get here and read a chapter, <laughs> you know. But uh, so that that was definitely a gift. I think I was. She said I was reading when I was like four years old too. So my I was reading ahead of my grade anyway. So she wasn't going to be able to stop me from reading books that were so called not for me. But that was how I got into writing romance because when I started thinking about it, you know like editing out all these bedroom scenes. And I started thinking about it. I was like, I don't really, like there's a, a handful of black romantic authors that I know, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot. And why isn't there? And then I started thinking, well, there's not really any, you know, other cultures besides white romance that are super popular. And this was like, what, 2009? So, you know, publishing was, you know, it was really white <laughs> and they had no problem with being that way. Like I submitted my books and they were just like, if you could make this character white, it would be so much better. Or if you could make this character less black, less Latina, less this, you know, I'm like, well, geez, you know. Did people really say that? Oh, yes, baby. Sorry, that's a naive question. <laughs> now they say, what is it that they say? Like, they can't I relate. Don't identify, I, I can't I don't relate. identify. Yeah. I can't relate to your character. And I'm like, but especially when you send it to an editor and you're giving them read-alikes. I'm like, the only thing that's different about my manuscript and this book that got published by you and edited by you is that my characters are black. Just say what you mean, <laughs> you know? So, and like during that time, like I submitted to like four or five different um, big five publishing houses and kind of got the same, either no response or this was great, but it doesn't fit our, our catalog. We wouldn't know how to market it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like you act like I'm asking you to market tentacle sex. This is just (laughs) people who have darker complexions. Um, So, and that was right around the time that self-publishing started getting big. And um, I researched it and all that, but I was, I had like this anonymous blog and I was writing all of my stories on my anonymous blog and had a little following or whatever. And one of my friends was like, why don't you just, another friend who's a writer, she was like, why don't you just package this up and, and, and publish it? I was like, well, you have stories too. You do it. And she was like, I'll do it if you do it. I dare you. And that was how I published my first book. And since then, you know, there's like a huge boom. And for, for, for publishing to say that people don't read Black romance, there are some Black romance authors that are sure as hell cleaning up as self-published authors. So there's an audience for it. They just choose not to focus their attention on it. Yeah. So this season, like in theory, we're looking at uh, basically the kind of money aspect and how different people earn money. And, you know, basically like, do you need a day job or how do you balance all these different kind of financial aspects? So that aspect of the writer, the writer and day job conundrum. Uh, So I'm really interested in like, I mean, the, some of the numbers on self-published, especially romance, but not just romance novels, like are fantastic. So I guess if you could talk a little bit about how the economics work, um, that would be very useful. Okay, so let's just, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors when it comes to this thing. People will say they're doing well, they're, they're you know, they're pulling in money every month and not really talking specifically about the numbers. So I have six books out right now not fiction, six romantic fiction books. And I'm pulling in about $500 a month, but I'm not doing any marketing, really. If I was doing more marketing, um, I probably could pull pull in like 2000, which I was doing last year, the year before last, what was it, 2017? I had a really good year. But it requires, yeah, it was a good year. (laughs) Freelance income on it in a good year. Yeah, so, and I, I was making enough money to where I felt like I didn't have to supplement all of, you know, my self-publishing efforts with editing. Like I was making enough money to put back into the self-publishing machine and still have time to write. But I also had to market like nonstop. You know, it was a job just to, you know, like constantly be on someone's blog post, constantly be on, uh, pitching to a podcast to try to get on those. You know, it was just a lot of work. Um, and sometimes you just don't have it in you, you know, Hmm. like a lot of times I'll be like, I just want to write, I don't want to do this part. And I kind of was in that funk all of 2018. 
<laughs> like I just want to write. I don't want to. I don't want to be talking about my books to other people. It just feels. It feels very narcissistic. I don't know. You just get tired of talking about yourself. That's how I felt. But um, I think that doing the editing, it definitely balances things. It balances things out. And it makes me feel not so. Uh, it doesn't make me put so much pressure on my passion. You know what I mean? Like forcing your passion to be your paycheck is it can sometimes leach the creativity out of it. You know what I mean? Cause all you're thinking about is numbers. All you're thinking about is numbers. Like before you even write a book, like, is this going to be, you know, it, it does, is it tropey enough? Like, is this what people are reading? Let me check the, the best-selling books on Amazon before I even put a word on the page. You know what I mean? There's Where's so the much. Hook? Where are the stakes? Where's the, Raise exactly. The stakes. You know, or find it like, Oh, I could write a book kind of like this. It, there was just so much front end stuff that you, I was doing. And I was just like, okay, I, I, I just want to write the book that I want to write. <laughs> I don't really, if I could find a way to like to put a hook in there or a trope in there to make it work for what's, you know, trending right now. Awesome. If I can't, I don't give a damn and I don't want to, you know what I mean? But okay. So there was like a, a boom, like a big publishing boom in 2012. Everybody who was anybody who could put a, a, a book on Amazon was making money because that was before Amazon cracked wise on manipulating the algorithms. And then people figured out ways to play on that. And that's how we got all of those, like uh, the 20K books on there, you know, 20,000 words, they're calling it a book and then throwing it up there and they're publishing like 16 of them a year. Because yeah. they were gaming the system. You know, the more you publish, the more Amazon sees that you are part of their machine. So they, you know, lift you up in the algorithms. But now, yeah, that was, and that was probably when it started to die off was right, like summer of 2017. By 2018, that's when you started seeing everybody doing Facebook ads. There was all of these fucking classes on doing Facebook ads. Everybody had to do a Facebook ad, you know everybody's like, well, how do you do your Facebook ads? Who do you target? Like every time I went to any convention or any writer's group thing, it's like everybody wanted to know about Facebook ads. And then Amazon came out with Amazon ads. And that was all anybody was ever talking about. But what no one ever talks about is that pay for play makes it impossible for all of us to succeed. Because the only people who have money to pay to play are the people who were already gaming the system before mm. the ad thing came up. You know what I'm saying? So- yeah. So what's happening now, it's like you, if you go on Amazon at any time, you're going to see the same kind of group of people who are bestsellers because those people got in early and manipulated the alg algorithm and now they, they have the money to pay to play. And if you don't have the money to pay to play, we're pretty much back on the same sort of level ground as traditional publishing now because, because it's so saturated and, you know, yes, a, a good book will sell anything, but you know, you got to get it in front of the right eyes and that's getting yeah. more and more difficult. Reviewers are complaining about not being able to keep up with the number of books that people are publishing. It's just changed this, this scape a whole lot. And everybody's kind of like, you know, people who are like me was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good if I w write one book a year and everybody who's kind of on that same wave was like, Oh, well, eventually this is all going to get weighted out. You know, the people who are trying to just game it for money, they're going to get yeah. tired or they're just going to not make enough money to do it. And I was like, well, how long are we supposed to wait for that? You know? So my plan going forward this year is to traditionally publish, like to seek traditional publishing as well as self publishing so that I can have more visibility. You know what I mean? Cause Let's let's be truthful. You're not. I'm not going to get a ton of money from a traditional publishing deal, but it will it will get put the right eyes on my name that may, you know, push sales or drive sales for my self published work as well. Right. Well, you have a backlist, and right. so you know if you get a whole bunch of new in theory, if you get a whole bunch of new readers, then they will want more. And while they're waiting for your next book, they can go read your backlist. Exactly. I mean, that's that's how I wanted to work in theory. That was my theory. But also I was supposed to be done writing my first book <laughs> now. My first book of the year was supposed to be done now. And I just kind of packed my client work and didn't even consider that, you know, life was going to get in the way. And I have I have written zero words on that book. So 
What's your goal? My goal? On that book, on that book. On that particular book? Yeah. Well, okay, so this is how I'm gaming it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only, like, I'm only submitting to uh, publishers that I know give advances. I'm writing a book that has series potential but could be a standalone. Uh Mm -hmm. And... I'm hopefully, I mean, it's going to be probably like an 80, 90 K book. So that's probably like contemporary romance length. Yeah. Um, So hopefully I will be able to get both of those things to happen. Like I can, I will land a deal that will get me an advance and then also um, get a three book deal to finish out the series. So that's the goal. No, I like, I, yeah, I like that. And I like to hear what your kind of live goals are. Um, and and one of the things that I think is interesting is that you have built up your credibility and your kind of you know backlist, as Megan was saying, uh, through self-publishing, but then you can also trade that in later. So I think that's also something for people to think about as, you know, a way to build up a kind of reputation, right? Definitely. I think it's, I think that a lot of people are thinking that it's self-publishing or traditional publishing. It's, it doesn't have to be like that. You, well, well, you have to know how to read a contract to be able to manipulate this in the way that you want it. You can say, Hey, all of these books written under this word count, those are mine. I'm going to self-publish them. But if I, if I want to publish something longer, then those will be yours. Um, I think we talked about agents before and um, the, I had an agent like two years ago and I wasn't super in love with it, uh, which is why I'm going to try to, you know, do it in and around. Like I want to get the deal first and then find an agent instead of getting an agent and then finding a deal because I'm not necessarily sure if there's an agent out there that will work with me the way I want to be worked with. I already have these pretty set ideals about how I want my career to go. And I don't want someone to come in and be like, Oh, well this, this, you can get this amount of money and try to like seduce me with a dollar amount. And then I end up fucked, you know? Mm, Yeah. So a lot of agents, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of authors aren't clear on the fact that the agent works for you. You don't work for them. So, they should be reporting back to you about who they submitted to and how it's going and all the steps that they're taking and all of that. And if you're not having that kind of rapport with them, then they're not really working with you. They should be, they should want to get you the best deal because of course they don't get paid until you get paid, Mm -hmm. but they also should be taking your desires and goals in mind when they are submitting your work. And, let's just face it, every, all of them are just as hungry as we are. They're hungry too. And that relationship has gotten so, I don't know, bastardized almost. <laughs> like it feels like almost like you're in competition with your agent instead of them working with you. So I'm not really super keen on having another agent. Um, I have a couple of editors that have asked me for work. So I'm going to go to them first and see how it works out. Yeah, that's great that you have that um, you have that in. And I'm assuming that you got you got that way you got there because of your self-publishing work or your editorial yep. work and your network that you've built up. So exactly. And I think that's easier to do when you're already writing. Yeah. I mean, you've shown that you can write six books. Right. And then also too, I think publishers want you to have, they, they definitely want you to have a platform. So they would like, Oh, okay. This person can definitely sell books. I don't have a problem with giving them some money. And yeah, it's a lot of work. It's, it's almost just like, you know, constantly nurturing a baby, especially it's really hard now. Like, I just don't like to be on social media now because of, uh, you know, sweet potato Saddam. I was going to uh, say the president, like, yeah. the, like end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sweet potato Saddam. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a nightmare. It's constantly. And, you know, it's like, you can never get online without some type of catastrophe happening. And I, I just don't need that negative energy in my life. Yeah, he has like single-handedly ruined Friday afternoons for like, everybody. Who like, can ruin Friday afternoons? But anyway, <laughs> we all—I mean, like all of us have drinking problems now. It only took two years. We're all lushy. Hey, like, oh hey, my god, I got hey. drink. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real. But I mean, uh, <laughs> you have no choice if you have no choice if you're an author anymore. Like, you have to have a platform. And like, I am envious of that time when people didn't have to talk 
to their readers. Like they could just write a book and then, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like what, is that, what was that like? Like you could just write a book and then go on vacation and then hide in your hidey hole until it's published, come out, sign a couple books to the assigning, then go back in your hidey hole again. Man, yeah. sounds like a dream. But I have a question on that. Yeah, I mean, I also agree that sounds like a dream. But I also wonder, so, you know, on various, we read a bunch of different writing advice books earlier this year and business books. Like a, a platform and social media are not necessarily the same thing, right? So you, so how, what do you think of, like, what advice do you have, I guess, for new writers and how they build a platform? Because I don't think it's necessarily just like being on Twitter, like that could be successful or not. People are just being on Twitter, like they're just sharing their book information on Twitter and thinking that they're going to get interaction. That's not how it works. That's yeah. not how any social media works. The way social media works is that you have to be social. <laughs> like you have <laughs> yeah. to interact with people. You can't just drop in, scroll through, get angry about something Trump said, share a book link and never come back for a week. I'm um, describing my Twitter interactions. <laughs> I am. I'm literally quitting Twitter. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I'm i the same way with Facebook. Like, I wish I, I rage quit Facebook in my head at least three times a week. Um, same. Well, it, it's not even just for Facebook, for me, it's not even just the, the, the news and just like the constant, you know, den of noise about politics. It's also that all of these newbie writers like have all these really bad habits, like, they ask for your friendship and then they immediately send you to their book page or send you a link in your your direct messages. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Whoever gave you this advice, it was wrong. The auto direct message thing drives me oh, crazy. Oh my God. A platform to me is definitely about uh, getting social proof. So, you know, I do a lot of that through my blog. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. People like to know that you know what the fuck you're talking about. And sometimes, like, even for me, like, I, I've just now started seeing the stats that I like. And I still have gotten to the point where I was like, well, you know, is anybody reading this shit? Or are they just clicking on the link and scrolling to the bottom? You know, like, <laughs> it feels yeah. like a lot of work to yeah. really have no concrete proof. Yes, I do sell more books when I write more blog posts. But, I mean, if I stopped it, would I still be selling the same amount of books. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure how any of this works, but yeah. I do think that, um, talking to other people and, uh, oh crap. Um, talking to people and writing on your blog and being social on social media has definitely helped me build a, a, a platform, I guess. Well, and you have a newsletter too, right? Where you yeah. send out excerpts or yeah, well, yeah, short fiction through it. Yeah, I was doing that and I, I, I want to get back to that as well. But, you know, I think having a plan is always good. Like the, what do they say? It's like an 80-20 rule. Like you give, give, give. And then tw the 20% is actually asking for sales. Yeah. So I yeah. try to do that. Like I want to make sure that... Um, I'm giving a lot of value before I'm like, hey, you want to buy this thing I made? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and your blog is also, I just want to plug it, but it has lots of really useful advice. I spent a lot of uh, time reading it. And it has a lot, especially about the things that you're particularly, you know, passionate and good at around like character development and things like that, like really concrete and very specific um, writing advice, actually, that's very useful. Thank you. I try really hard with that. I think that a lot of times people don't really understand what blogging is really about. Like, it's not just about like putting a bunch of stuff up there and hoping some of it sticks to the wall. And I've learned a lot about how to make a blog work, not from going to conferences with other writers. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Those conferences don't really serve me at all. I don't feel, I don't come, I, I, of course I have fun getting drunk with my friends. I only get to see like once or twice a year, but you know, like the panels is all stuff that, you know, you're not and the, the tips and tricks they have is kind of like, Oh, this works for you. But you know, if you have any type of anomaly in your, your book, like if you're writing books about black people, you don't have, you can't use the same tips. It just doesn't work. So 
a lot of what I learned just about having a business model, I got from going to entrepreneurial conferences and reading business books, not mm. book business books. That's interesting. Wow, that was a tongue twister. Book business books. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I got a lot more. Like I love, I um, I don't know if you guys, I, well, you, are, you have a podcast, so it doesn't necessarily mean you listen to them. But I love being boss. And, yes, um, me too. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I've I've gone to every one of their conferences. They're really intimate, and Emily and Kathleen, like I, I I know them well enough to call them friends now. Like, and I've learned so much from those girls, and most of them are way younger than me. Like I'm 40, and <laughs> I'll probably like one of three people in the room that are like of an advanced age, yeah. and. <laughs> you know, a woman you're like a geriatric, age. basically. Yeah, like, I'm a woman. By the way, we're also more we'll be 38 this year. So, okay, so yeah. but but you know, you understand the feeling. Like most of the stuff that's out there now is like geared towards millennials, like millennial mm-hmm. moms, millennial entrepreneurs. And so I just stopped. I stopped paying attention to it, thinking that it wasn't for me, and I ignored it. And was like, this says entrepreneur. I'm one of those. One out of two ain't bad. And I was so glad that. Like I was apprehensive about doing it before. And then I was so glad, I'm so glad I did because I've gotten so much from them on how to conduct yourself as a business, as an author that I would not have gotten from anyone who's not Sky Warren (laughs) or uh, like for romance, like you have to be Sky Warren or someone who is just really business savvy. And a lot of those tips and tricks that they sell are great. But number one, I feel like it's selling a pipe dream Ah. I'm getting off topic, but <laughs> there is no topic. You, this is, this is like, you are literally the topic. Yeah, so go for it. <laughs> I feel, I feel like people are making a whole lot of money on telling people how to do things, but I don't think that any of those tips and tricks really work. Matter of fact, I was talking to Kathleen Shannon about this from being boss. And she said, she's like, is by the time, that somebody's making a webinar or has written a book about any way to do business, it's already dead technology. Like by the time that you figure it out, there's going to be something else that they're going to be teaching you how to do. So like the only thing that's really concrete is if you have a website, stay active on that. And if you have a mailing list, try to keep your you know mailing list engaged. And that's about it. Because those are probably the only two audiences that you really control. There's a whole lot of conversation out there about getting all the followers on Instagram and Facebook page and all this kind of bullshit. You don't own those. You don't own those fans. Facebook can shut you down tomorrow. And then, then what do you have? You can't communicate to anybody. So, but yeah, I feel like I've learned a ton more from going to those than I have from sitting in on any author conference. Not, I mean, that's not a knock. Uh, but some of these they're just not for me dog it's just not for me <laughs> well, well, and, that, and that makes sense though because you know writers are writers because that's what they do they're not writers because they would rather be marketers exactly like you know it so of course you're gonna go learn business from business people and then you're gonna go learn writing from writing people and you know the, that totally makes sense um Completely. And so you're, I mean, you're very clearly a planner, like oh yes, it comes across really like loud and clear and it's awesome. But, and one of the things I've noticed is that you, <clears throat> you also, it looks like you tend to plan your content, like on Fridays and Fridays on Instagram, you showcase like a bookstagrammer who's reading diversely. And, you know, on this day you t- post about your blog post and then like this day is just some random picture. And yeah, um, I just, I think it's important to, first of all, set up, a, plan your your content in a way that makes it interesting to you and also in a way that you don't really have to think about it. Like you do the work once and that's it. You know how many fucking feature Friday bookstagrammer things I have? I, I'm good until August. I have them <laughs> planned in BuzzFeed. I mean, BuzzFeed, uh, Buffer. So I ah, just, that's so smart. I went, yeah. I wrote down 200 and some uh, Instagram bookstagrammers that read diversely. And I crafted like a little post that I can switch up, you know, make it personal after reading. If they have a blog, I'll go through and read a book, read a couple of posts and pull something from that, or just pull something from their, um, their timeline, personalize it that way, schedule it for Friday. 
for my uh, blog posts, I batch them. I try to write four at a time. I also like to plan like quarterly, like this is exactly the topic I'm going to talk about. So then I don't have to sit down and be like, oh God, I'm running out of things to say, you know? Yeah. 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 And I thought, like I said, I think because I have a raging case of ADD, I think (laughs) 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 the planning has helped me because I've never, I haven't always been this way. I used to be like, you know, if I get it done, I get it done. I don't care. But now I'm just like, you know, consistency breeds legitimacy. As long as I'm always top of mind, people are always going to want to talk to me or see what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I turned that way when I had kids because it was like the only way I was going to survive. Yeah. 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 Is be like, <laughs> Ooh. You know, everything planned to the second. Yeah. I have an autistic son and I love him to death, but he... He, like the first early years, like he was definitely here to slow me down, make me have some patience and to plan because yeah, my dude don't like to not have a plan. He needs to know what's happening. And if you change the plan, you better have a good excuse. So <laughs> <laughs> he's 17 now. So like 17 years of that, I'm good. <laughs> I like a yeah. plan too. You're an expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, what I... So I'm getting the impression that you guys are trying to become planners or like. Oh, it's very um, big planners. We're like, we already are planners. Oh, you are. Yeah, we love planning, but like, I wouldn't say that I can use it effectively in my writing. That's what I would say. Megan, maybe you more. No, well, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I think. I'm a, I'm a big planner in, in lots of ways, but I, and like for this podcast, for instance, we planned, we planned this whole thing out like in September right. um, and we, you know, we go through and we adjust things as we go. Um, but. Um, Using it in your writing is not as easy. Yeah. I tend to fall into the trap, which is a complete fallacy that if I spend a whole day planning this I'm wasting time and I need to just do it when you know clearly like it does save time in the long run yeah it's like meal prepping you know you just like chop all the damn carrots on Sunday so then on Thursday you're like thanking your past self for chopping like the 7,000 freaking carrots exactly you're not doing it again (laughs) I mean I think a lot of it is just you have to start executing at first and I, I for me because I used to be the same way. It's like, oh, I feel like I'm wasting my creative energy by planning. Like I, some of the magic is being stolen by the planning process. You know, like wh- who talks like this? Like I, I, I just can't do it. Like I, I need to be able to write intuitively. I just have to sit down and do it. That's dumb. I'm not going to get it done. I'm just going to stare at the fucking page at the blinking cursor for four hours. <laughs> and now yeah. like even if it's just planning like two sentences, like, okay, this is the scene I want to write. And just refer back to that as I'm writing. I get a lot more done. You get a lot more done. It's kind of like, um, and I hate to put it this way, it's like if, if you've written any academic papers, it's the same way. If you plan it out, it's easier to finish. Right. Yeah. Well, and I tend to, what I usually do is when I'm wrapping up, I'll write a few sentences of just notes of what I want to happen next. So when I come back around, the problem is I've hit, as you say, that 26,000 word <laughs> slump where I'm like I ran out of notes I don't <laughs> now know what, what I do uh-uh. <laughs> so. yeah I, I think I, I think a lot of authors think that way about not you know just planning in general you know people some people just break out in hives they will rage quit it's like if this class is about plotting I don't want to have anything to do with it okay well you can leave now <laughs> yeah. no. well here's the thing though you don't have to stick to your plan like Dad. you can change it Oh my God, that is, a, that is, I wish more people understood that just because you plotted it that way doesn't mean it has to stay that way. This is just a general, this is a general course, you know, we're going on a journey. Maybe you want to take, you know, like a little sightseeing jaunt in the middle of it and come back. <laughs> I mean, you're writing it. You get to make all the decisions. <laughs> But But I have, but okay, so my issue is, and this is like, 
I'm thinking about it while you guys are talking. This is an issue in real life, like in my day job. It's an issue in my like personal life, and it's definitely an issue in my books. I'm like, oh yeah, I've got that thing under control. I've totally planned that thing. And in reality, like in my novel, which I've recently given up, now I'm writing creative nonfiction, but long story. Uh, but in my novel, I'm like, oh yeah, like basically in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally know what happens in those chapters. And then I'm like, actually, I need to write fucking like 5,000 words in each of those chapters or some whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, it's basically like a guy is sitting in the cafe. That's like more or less the planning level that I've done. And I'm like, I'm done with planning. It's fine. And then I'm like, what the hell does this guy say? And then I'm like, Why is he know. here? What does this scene mean? I don't know. And I'm like, I have not <laughs> planned a fucking thing. And it's really hard to write that book, right? And uh, so anyway, like I overestimate how much I have planned. And this is also, like I said, this is true in my work. It's true in my personal life. Um, and so then I just stare and whatever. And then procrastinate is a long, boring story. You might be familiar with it. Procrastination is my nation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm probably on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I overplan. Uh, like I went from like one sentence plans, like you were talking about. Like oh, I got to the end of the day. I'm just going to write a couple sentences about where I want to write tomorrow. I went from that mm. to filling up a whole notebook with just character studies. Yeah. yeah. So there has to be some happy medium. There's got to be a place in between. And a lot of times I think to myself, I was like, if I wasn't doing all this planning, I could write faster. But then I, I, I come back with, well, when you didn't plan at all, you didn't write, you didn't write at all. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, we just need to stop, like, defining the writing as the actual typing of the words that will be yes. in the books. <laughs> like, yes. That is not just what writing is. Like, that's one of the things I loved about um, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng was oh. the discussion of what an artist does and how like I can't remember the character's name but the artist mom of the girl who like blows yeah. into town I don't know if you've read it or not but um she blows into town for like six months and basically seduces this whole family of teenagers and um but the mom not the not the mom the, the teenage girl who's the daughter of the artist does this anyway so the but the mom is a visual artist and she she's a photographer and stuff and it just talks about how like Nobody understands that she's working all the time. It's oh just, my God, yes. you know, not the 10 seconds when she's actually snapping a photo and like the shutter clicks and then she prints it or whatever. But it's like, she'll move into town and then she'll just sit there in town for like three months. Just people just figuring watching. the place out. Wow, that and, sounds like, amazing. Soaking it up. and she, But she is like, the thing that I loved about it is this woman is so completely fine with it. Like she is chill with herself as an artist and her process and like fuck anybody else who doesn't care because she's moving on in six months anyway when she's done with her why can't project. i live like that shit i know right like it, she's it's like, like it, it incorporates my two favorite things like creative work and travel like in my mind yeah. i think i'm a nomad it's a little hard yeah. on her kid that's the yeah, only thing but you know eh. she can't have children that's why i'm doing yeah <laughs> there's definitely needs to be a discussion when it comes to anyone who has a creative career that writing is more than just putting the words on the page like the the whole creative process takes a lot longer than just sitting down to write and I think if we, just like you said, if we all get past the point where writing is the actual physical writing, then I think all of us would be a lot better off. Like all the other time feels like wasted time, I guess. Like people say the same thing about revision. Like, oh, I hate revision. Revision is my favorite part. Oh, but that's totally writing. Yes. I feel like yeah. I write spare. I write really spare in the, the, the first draft so that I could go back and flesh things out in the yeah. revision. It's easier for me to fix words that are already there than to create words from thin air. Yeah. So really your yeah. planning though is your rough draft. It just isn't in narrative form. It's part of it. Yeah. But it sounds like you have two like rough drafts, right? Like a plan and then you have your rough draft and then you fill it in. Yeah, I actually do. I, I consider them three drafts, but People say that the whole planning process is like a zero draft, and that's fine because I do a lot of writing in my planning. Like sometimes I'll just write little snippets or pieces of conversation, you know, as they come to me. And I think that the, in the planning process, 
once I get to the point where I'm writing snippets or whole scenes, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to start writing the first draft. And I guess I'll let the book tell me that way, but I, I don't think I would ever be able to get to that point again, like just sitting down and typing without mm. a plan. I don't know yeah. how people do it. Yeah, I also don't. But hold on, I want to rewind a little bit. Uh, so you were just talking about how much I, like all the other time really matters, and I totally agree. But then I think one of the things that always pops in my head, so probably I've asked 50% of our guests about this, like, so do you, like a day job, you need it to pay for your shit that you have in your life, right? Like to live. Um, but like is an ideal world where you don't have the day job and then you just basically only have your margin so that you can like do all the other time that it takes to actually get words down on the page. Yes, that's the ideal that I would be able to just make money off of words, just writing words and editing words. Like I would be totally fine with that. And I don't know if you saw, there was like some tweet going around on Twitter this week about this guy's like, everybody's going to die, quit your job and write the book. And I'm like, yeah, I feel you, but you know, a bitch get hungry sometimes. I'll die faster (laughs) if I don't have a job. (laughs) A bitch gets hungry and I like to sleep in a bed with a roof over my head. Those things need money, bro. Like, I get what you're saying, but it's real easy for you. And then when I went to look at his Twitter profile, he writes for like a bunch of different, like really big magazines and he has a book deal. You're in a different world, squirrel. This is not, yeah. like, if you get to be, like, if you have a byline at, at the New York Times, you, you don't get to tell me how to, to quit my job that right, me right. so that I can yeah. write. It's just unrealistic. And no one wants to live a freelance writer's life either because all you're doing is chasing down paychecks. You, you write 7,000 words for someone and they take eight months to pay you. So I don't know what landlord is going to be okay with you on that type of payment plan. You know, <laughs> I might be able to pay you th- for three months rent in February. You know, like, uh, it's just crazy. I think a lot of times, too, people, uh, they get in these places where, you know, they, they don't really understand how it works down here for the rest of us. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you're doing great over there, but you're kind of single and you're kind of male and you're kind of white and you don't have any responsibilities but your own food and shelter. You can go home. You can go stay on your parents' couch. If I go to stay on my parents' couch, everybody and the dog got to come with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, I think that, hmm, I don't, like I was saying before, like I don't want to put a whole lot of pressure on it because I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I operate good under pressure, but I don't want to constantly feel that pressure. You know, like a person prone to anxiety can have a heart attack from self-imposed pressure, you know? Yeah, we've heard that from several guests who have tried, free, you know, freelance writing and then went back to day jobs because it was just easier. It takes the pressure off the day job or off the... The writing. And like I do write freelance articles occasionally, but it's always about stuff that I want to write about. Like I write um, for a local magazine here and I just write about artists and that really serves me because then I get to go be around creative people and talk about their processes and look at pretty pictures and maybe even paint or do a linotype while I'm there, you know? So that sounds awesome. So it's like an outlet, you know what I mean? Like I think of them how... um, Julia Cameron was talking about in um, The Artist's Way, just like taking yourself on an artist date. I feel like I get to have one whenever I'm interviewing another artist. And I always come out of that conversation or interview enriched. So I much prefer doing freelance that way, like only about stuff that I like and care about versus having to write a BuzzFeed listicle. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, good yeah. luck with that because BuzzFeed just laid everybody off anyway. Oh, yeah, that's so. right. Damn. Yeah, yeah. That's not to laugh at that. I mean, like, I mean, that's, it's not that's funny. It's it's no, not funny. But... Haha, but funny, tragic. Yeah. You know, like all yeah. these people yeah. like saying, "Quit your job and go freelance." <laughs> it was like, but for who? Where? Journalism yeah. is yeah. dead, bro. It's dead. Yeah. Well, and there's fewer. Yeah, there's so many. There's fewer and fewer paying gigs than that. Now all these yeah. people that that are suddenly freelancers are going to scoop up all the jobs that you would have been able to get if they were still working for BuzzFeed. Yeah, because they've all got the clips. Welcome to the yeah. Shark Tank. Yeah. They yeah. probably even have connections yeah. now that you can't get into, you know, from working. I don't know. Writer's life is, is just 
you definitely have to uh, like um um my one of my favorite phrases like whenever i get hung up on other people's successes or what's going on in the publishing world and letting that distract me. I'm just like, you know what? Focus on your shit, own your own shit, focus on your own shit. Keep your eyes on your own fucking paper because no one's going to write your writing. No one's going to write your book. No one's going to write your blog. Only you can do this. This is the only voice that sounds like you. It doesn't matter whatever they're doing out there. So focus on your own shit. Yeah. And it gets, it. Really, it gets really hard sometimes, like, especially when everybody is like getting all those notices, like, oh, I just signed with Kensington. I just I'm like, oh, that feels so great for you. Yay. Why not me? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that internal scream. Why not me? I'm so happy for you. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like the, whenever I find myself getting caught up in that, I'm just like, focus on your own shit. It has nothing to do with you. You can be happy for your friend and mind your business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in yeah. my case, I'm like, I know exactly why not me because I haven't finished the damn book yet. That part. You got to finish the first, like the lottery. You got to play to win. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I am looking at the time. And yeah. we don't want to take up more of your time. And I've got, speaking of feeding people who go oh, yeah. hungry. Um, <laughs> You've got some I'm small to, ones around you. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to do that. But I kind of want to like keep talking and have this I have conversation. so many more. Like so we had a totally things. different conversation than <laughs> I know. last time as well. <laughs> I mean, you guys can always have me back or. We will definitely have you back. I will come back. I, I much prefer being a guest over like actually having to do the podcast. <laughs> it's more fun. <laughs> it's like I just get to I can imagine. And like seriously, anytime you're like, man, I got some shit to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to go find a place to say it. Like I mean, I feel like I feel up. like your podcast is definitely a better place to do that versus going to my friend Caroline's podcast, which seems very, you know, it's very popa over there. It's very formal. Yeah, she's <laughs> very well yeah. No, we love so that's I Caroline love, I love Secret, Secret Library. Library podcast. Yeah. How and by the way, if if anyone's looking for a, uh, an episode to start with, start with her interview with Tasha, where Tasha gives the genius advice to write backwards. Oh my god, so good! Not like letters backwards. But no, it's just, just like in case. Start, start at the end. After and oh write. my god. Well, uh, we we determined that you had to get to at least through the first act, like to get the the groundwork down. So like get twenty five thousand words down, pretty much, and then write the last chapter and work your way back to that point. I'm gonna tell you that shit really did work. Uh, it, that's amazing. That's actually what I'm in the middle of starting to do. Uh, and journaling about it. I, I'm so like, I'm almost like, should I turn this into a course? But you know. Yes. <laughs> no, it's good. Journal about yeah, it. I think you could. I'm sure somebody else has already done it before. I think mm-hmm. I'm being innovative. But it That's wasn't said, you, Caroline. was it? It's like, Caroline, we were like, this sounds so smart. We're geniuses. It's like, no, we're not. We're really not. Somebody's already done this before. We sound really stupid right now. And what was so funny? I haven't heard of it. But it's the first time it. I heard of it. And neither one of us was drinking that day. That was just like all pure, like, genius, creative energy. Like, we were both sweating. <laughs> if you could see the video, we're just sitting there like, oh, my God. I can't believe this. It's like, ooh, it's so great. I love talking to her because I feel like her brain works the same way as mine. You know, like we have those weird quirky things. Yeah, we and, talked yeah. to her last yeah. year and totally felt it's like the same. I think she's like, like some people are mediums, like for dead people. She's just like kind of like a writing medium. She's a good yeah. person yeah. to bounce ideas off of. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, writers yeah. talk to other writers and artists and cross-pollinate. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful. Definitely cross-pollinate. I think, that, like we were saying about the business thing, mm. don't be limited to just talking to other writers. Talk to uh, creative entrepreneurs. I have a bunch of friends that are photographers. I talk to them all the yeah. time about creative stuff. Painters, everything. Just get you a little coven of you know juicy creative energy. And yeah. that's where your day job can come in, too, because, I mean, you can learn all kinds of crazy stuff at a day job that you think has nothing to do with your writing and, you know, maybe flip it upside down and look at it that way. Uh, definitely. I mean, as much as I don't like to talk to people, talking to people <laughs> does. <laughs> well, I don't like small talk. I hate small talk. It drives me nuts. But especially talking to old people, they have some stories, man, and they just want people to listen to them, you know, like it. One of these ladies, I found out that she went to Woodstock. 
Mm-hmm. And like I live in South Carolina. She used to live in Ohio. Like she went to Woodstock. She had pictures and everything with the mud covered bell bottoms and long nice. hair. Had herself a gorgeous man too. Dark hair, blue eyes. I was like, where is he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she told me all about that too. And then um she moved to South Carolina in 1978, the actual year I was born. And she had a black boyfriend in um in Ohio. And she was like, you know, I, I wanted him to move down here with me. I thought we were going to continue our late relationship. That was the only man. She's never been married. She's like, that was the only man that I, th- I would have considered marrying. But he said he didn't mm. want to move to the South because it was too prejudiced. And they broke up. Oh, man. What a story. Wow. Right? There's a story. And like, like, that's the thing is there's you stories everywhere. People. They, I mean, old people are full I'm- of sea nuggets. I love it. No, at my grandmother's nursing home, I met this lady that was like, she's actually from that Russia part. It used to be part of Germany and now it's like Russian. And she basically ended up somehow in West Texas. And I was like, what, what? the hell happened what? in your life? Like, she's like, Hello, in, in Lubbock, Texas. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, are you serious? Are you a con artist? Like, is this real? <laughs> right, right. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking? Yeah, it was awesome. Do you have dementia? Like, is she okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, can I see some documents? I don't believe you. Good stuff. Anyway, y'all can get off. Love it. All right. <laughs> I'll come back right. on and get to chat again. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week. You can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Take Cassius out of here. Get out, Cassius. Go. Bye. Get out of here. Talk is it an dog. animal? Or... Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to say the same thing to my, my children. They're going to come in hungry in a minute.